0: Welcome to Sane Split, a podcast about staying sane when relationships end. I am AJ Jacobowska, family law lawyer and mediator. Just like you, I'm human. I understand what can happen when people separate. Lots of questions swirling around like confetti, lots of uncertainty, perhaps anger, disappointment, or even pain, sleepless nights, shallow breathing, Will I ever be happy again? Will the kids be okay? How much is all this going to cost? All of these questions are human and you're not alone. This podcast features my thoughts about separation and my interviews with other humans who help people when their relationships end. People who assist with legal issues, who mediate, who look after hearts and minds, and even after the pocketbook. People who might help you plan your future. What you will hear is not legal advice. These are dialogues primarily about the human aspect of separation. We will try to stay away from legal lingo. It's humans talking to humans. I hope that something you hear will help you navigate your way to a sane split. Welcome and thanks for tuning in. Today's episode is about communication when relationships end. If you hear meowing from time to time, that's Max the cat. He's under my feet as I record this and he is communicating. This podcast is a form of communication. I am communicating with you. I'm sharing with you my thoughts, my experience, my suggestions. My hope is that This will help you or help someone you know. I am well-intentioned and I'm happy to be doing this. I welcome feedback from you. You, hopefully, are also in a good frame of mind. You have set aside some time to listen to this episode. You could be tuning in for a number of reasons. For example, because your relationship has ended and you are looking for some Guidance, maybe information, maybe tips or suggestions. Your separation is not a happy occasion, but you are hopeful that you will hear something that will help. Your mind is open. Or maybe you are listening because someone close to you suggested this podcast may be of interest to you. Again, you are tuning in because you are guided here by the best of intentions, by someone who cares about you. I'm going to suggest that your frame of mind, your mood, if you will, is key to how you will receive this podcast. My positive frame of mind was key to my creating this podcast and my recording this episode. In a very real way, how and what we feel condition us to how we listen, what attitude we bring with us to our communications, and how we digest what we hear. We communicate all the time in many different ways, some of which we are not even conscious about. We send nonverbal messages, for example. Our body language can speak volumes. Our eyes can express a lot as well. How we sit, whether we make eye contact, and so on. Unlike radios, our communication is two-way. We transmit, but we also receive. Our brains constantly formulate signals and process a myriad of incoming stimuli. We send messages out, yes, but we receive messages as well. Science has confirmed that what we send out and how we process what we receive is very much influenced by our circumstances at the time. This includes both the moment, so to speak, the day, what we're doing at the time, but also the bigger picture, our overall circumstances. For example, are we generally content with our lives and at that moment? Are we generally happy but momentarily concerned about some situation on that day? Or are we depressed, anxious, suspicious, worried, concerned? Do we have a tendency to catastrophize, which is a phrase sometimes used in the context of depression, where a person looks at everything through a negative lens, anticipating problems around the corner. It's a tendency to think a situation is worse than it really is. Catastrophizing does not require a diagnosis of depression. All of us do it from time to time on a larger or smaller scale. Some people call it being in a rut, for example. When we're tired, under pressure, overloaded or overwhelmed, we're more likely to catastrophize. What does all I have said so far have to do with separation? Actually, a lot Because communication is in many ways more intense once a relationship ends. It is more necessary than ever and yet a lot easier to get wrong. Why? Because separation creates vulnerability. It involves raw emotions, broken hearts, guilt, anger, disappointment. Emotions can affect judgment. Decisions made under the influence of emotions are prone to error. Importantly, trust is often destroyed when a relationship ends. The result is that words no longer mean what they used to mean, or at least it can feel like that. People whose relationships end often do not accept at face value what they hear from the other party, either in spoken word or in writing. They search for hidden meaning because again, trust is replaced with suspicion and the belief that everything has a hidden meaning, some trick, some ulterior motive. I'm not saying that every couple experiences this and to the same degree. Some couples are better skilled at navigating through their post-separation communication. When they get off track momentarily, they find their way back. This takes work, but it can be done. Most separated couples do experience a communication setback, at least initially. There are also separations which become truly conflictual fueled in many ways by toxic communication, jabs, digs, passive aggression. Let's not forget that frequently, by the time they separate, people know each other very well. Each has learned over time what makes the other tick, so to speak, what sets them off, what will cause them to be fearful, what will affect their self-esteem. I call this the I know you very well, tool. This tool is often used by one against the other and sometimes by both. For example, for no logical reason, the past is brought into emails about the present. Old transgressions are new again. Vulnerabilities are emphasized. Why? To generate a particular response from the reader or listener, a reaction to the communication positive, negative, concerned, anxious, fearful, I could go on. Non-communication can be a problem as well. One side sends an email about uh, a kid-related issue. The other doesn't respond. They simply do not want to engage for good reason or bad. This is a form of messaging too, the silence. Often it creates a reaction and the parent waiting for the response. If you have heard episodes of Sane Split before, you know I like to tell stories and I use those stories to illustrate my points. In the episode called A Journey to a Place Called Apart, I spun the tale of an imaginary couple whose relationship had ended and who were about to embark on an allegorical journey with their kids to a new reality. Let's use the same characters for this episode. A ended the relationship, and having thought about the separation for some time, and having now made the decision, A wants to get moving and to make change happen. B was on the receiving end of the news, was devastated and shell-shocked, and quickly began living on a steady diet of sadness, distrust, suspicion, and deep worry. B was scared, frankly. A was scared too, but in a different way. A was more like a hiker embarking on a trek up a mountain inhabited by bears. Yes, apprehensive about any encounters along the way, but invigorated about the view from the top of the mountain, a new stage in life, a new reality. At this stage, B is not even thinking of looking up and gazing over the horizon. B's world right now has very distinct four walls. And B's focus is to simply survive emotionally and mentally. Both A and B are worried about the kids, but in a different way. For the purposes of our story about communication, A and B got off to a reasonable start. Tears flowed, a moving truck came, and left filled with A's personal belongings and the contents of the home office. Then A and B met in a coffee shop on a Saturday morning, having exchanged emails earlier in which they talked about acting like adults because, in truth, their kids mattered the most. At their meeting, they talked about parenting together, about making decisions together, about A, continuing to coach the soccer team, and B, coming to all the practices and matches. A and B left the coffee shop sad, but hopeful based on what the other one said. This did not have to be painful, difficult, or expensive. Several days later, after spending a weekend with A, the kids casually mentioned going to a park with A and K. It was fun. K is a lot of fun. K knows how to fly a kite. K's straw hat was beautiful. B is devastated. B barely manages to put the kids to bed without crying. What? A girlfriend already? How long has this been going on? Did they know each other before the split? Why has A not mentioned this and being introduced to the kids already? No, just no. B sits at the computer. B's hands are shaking. B begins writing an email to A. Here's the email. It is now all clear to me why you left me. You did not even have the decency to tell me about Kay. I had to hear it from the kids. Kay will never be their mother. I am their mother, clearly. If you thought it was right not to tell me and to introduce the kids to Kay this soon, you are not a fit parent. You are not the person I thought you were. I will fight you for custody. I was foolish to think we could be different than other couples who separate, that this could all be civilized. It's clear you're playing a different game, so go ahead, play your game. By the way, I just made plans and I'm taking the kids to a friend's cottage over the weekend so you won't be able to see them. I will let you know next week when they have time to see you again, loser. Also, the first chance I get, I will move with the kids. We will have our own life without you and K. At this point, after pressing send, B gulps down the rest of the vodka in the glass on the desk and breaks down sobbing. The next morning, A sees B's email. A has to read it over twice because the content is unbelievable. B feels it's important to respond right away because B doesn't like being accused of things which simply are not true. A cancels a business call and fires off an email to B. I just made a mistake in the narrative. I was talking about... A, feeling it's important to respond right away because A doesn't like being accused of things which are not true. So it is A who is sending the second email. And here it is. Talk about an unfit parent. That's you, not me. I tried. I really tried. I stayed for so long, even when you drank and did nothing about it. I can tell you were drinking when you sent your email. How much are you drinking? Are you endangering the kids? No judge will give you the kids. You are dreaming. I will tell the court about the sea of vodka. I'm going to hire a lawyer on Monday. And by the way, Kay is someone I met at a separated parents group I have been going to. She has kids too. She's nice. We're not dating. We had a class the other day on how to communicate effectively after separation But there's nothing to navigate here. By the sounds of it, you are a vindictive, angry person. And now you're threatening to take the kids away from me. It's not going to happen. See you in court. And there we are, off to the toxic races. It was that quick and that simple. Two emails. So here are some additional facts. B has a history of turning to alcohol when in a stressful situation. B is under the care of a physician to address this. That shot of vodka when B wrote the email was the first one in months. When A and B were together, there was no C of vodka as alleged by A. There was some drinking, but B is not an alcoholic. Here are some more facts. At different points in the relationship, B suspected A was having an affair. The accusations were painful for B to make and painful for A to hear. They caused friction between them and sometimes B used vodka to deal with the stress and anxiety. In fact, A was never unfaithful. A never actually denied the affairs in fights on this issue. A would simply say to B, you're being ridiculous. A is not having an affair with K. They did meet at a separated parent support group. They like each other. A thinks K is attractive and has a great laugh. K is nothing like B. A thinks K is a great mom. Here are some of my observations about these emails exchanged between A and B. Number one, they were sent too fast. They were reactions. Neither A or B gave themselves a chance to think before pressing send. The emails were dripping with emotion, reaction. They were sent based on emotion and a reaction. When you receive a communication in the context of a separation, whoever it's coming from and in whatever form it arrives, and I will have a separate episode about reading letters from lawyers and court material. So when you get such a communication, ask yourself, does this really require a response right away? Or is this something I can and should think about some more. When you can, slow things down. When you can, give your emotions a chance to settle down. Give yourself a chance to think. If you have to respond right away, consider having someone close to you read your draft communication before you send it. Or draft it, walk away for a little while, and then read it again before pressing send. Vulnerability and raw emotions are the very fabric of communications when relationships end. And they are the fuel for potentially toxic exchanges which can spiral out of control very easily. Two adults can fire off a great number of emails or texts to one another in a single evening. I've seen it. Each step in the exchange is more charged, nastier, more hurtful than the previous one. That's often because anger builds on itself, like a fire spreading. When the fire is full blown, it's impossible to extinguish it with a fire extinguisher. You need a full fire brigade. So work on reducing the chance of fire in the first place. Insert some time between an incoming email, for example, and an outgoing one. So how could A and B have handled this exchange differently? Well, for one, by putting some time in between each of these events. Ideally, when B first heard about K from the kids, B might have slept on it overnight and then on the following day, for example, emailed or called aid to ask who Kay was. And here's a suggested email. The kids told me about Kay. Who is Kay? I'm turning to you for more information. I do not want to come to my own conclusions without asking you first. So that email is brief and to the point. No editorial. On receiving B's uh, initial email, A might have waited too, sat on the email for a while to consider why it was written. A might have considered that B is still very vulnerable and is still processing the end of the relationship which A chose to end. The responding email that evening might have sounded something like this. I am glad you are coming to me with this. I guess the kids told you about our outing last weekend. Kay is a woman I met in my separated parents group. I enrolled to help me understand how best to deal with our separation and do what is right for our kids. Kay also has kids. We were to meet with another parent at the park that day, but he canceled at last minute. In case you're wondering, I do not have a really romantic relationship with Kay. Let me know if you have any more questions. So both of these proposed emails were more likely when some of the initial emotions settled down. They are about information gathering and information giving. My second observation, both of the initial emails were based on conclusions drawn without sufficient facts. A assumed things, read into things, B did the same. Without having any further information and simply based on what the kids said casually, B concluded that A had a girlfriend and also that K was the reason behind A's decision to leave the relationship in the first place. A assumed B was drinking when the email was composed and sent. In fact, A assumes B now has a drinking problem which makes B an unfit parent. A also assumes a lot about what a judge will and will not do. Now we come to the concept of noise or signal. When you are reading or hearing something in the context of a separation, like the emails between A and B or a shouting match in front of McDonald's, ask yourself, is it noise or signal? In other words, are the words something you can let go after hearing them? because they're designed only to get an emotional reaction out of you? Are they like arrows flying in your direction, but they will not truly hurt you if you get out of the way? Or are the words signal something which you need to pay attention to, a message to which you need to truly react? Let's look at the initial emails between A and B, and pull out examples of each, noise or signal. There is a lot of noise in B's email. She's upset. B knows A loves the kids very much. B knows how to get to him. A lot of noise. But she's also sending signals, and A should take them seriously. First, she's signaling She is now going to control when A sees the kids. In fact, she has even mentioned moving away with them. These are signals. To begin with, A needs to take them as such and react to them by getting some legal advice. Can B deny A time with the kids? Can she move away? There is both noise and signal in A's responding email too. A brings the historical, brings in the historical drinking, responds in kind to the unfit parent accusation. But there's also signal. A is tying B's drinking to her ability to parent. He's going to look into that with a lawyer. B should consider that seriously. Perhaps B should speak to the doctor to ask, if the doctor considers the alcohol use to be problematic? Would the doctor write a letter for the court if necessary? This noise versus signal filtering is key to navigating communication in the context of separation. Sometimes one side will do their best, focus on exchanging information only without editorializing. And the other side comes back with noise, noise, noise. That's tough to handle, I know. After a series of noise emails, their response may be like this. I'm happy to have a dialogue with you, but only about subjects we need to tackle as part of our separation. If you keep sending me emails with accusations, unfortunately, I will not be able to respond. Managing communication effectively is key to a sane split. Focus on using the noise or signal filtering tool. Refrain from using the I know you very well tool purely for the sake of inflaming the situation. Once you light a flame, it may be difficult, if impossible, if not impossible to control. Make communications direct. the point brief and limited to the exchange of key information so it's for example I know it's your weekend with the kids but my sister is in town unexpectedly and would love to spend time with them can we switch weekends by any chance not um, I'm not expecting you to say yes because you never do But I thought I would ask anyway, would you switch weekends? My sister is in town, you know, the one whose wedding you refused to go to. So what's the answer? Do what's right for the kids once. So much noise in that last email, so little signal. A real fire starter. Thank you for listening. I hope you will tune in again. If you have any questions or comments, you can reach me through my website, separationinontario.com. Subscribing to the podcast through your favorite app will make future episodes available to you automatically. Signing off for now.